Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, in our Bibles this morning. Hope you'll be with us tonight. We have a communion service planned uh, where we will obey the, our Lord and Savior as he tells us to partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. I hope you'll be here to do that. And then after the communion service, we have, uh, we've all been invited by uh, Mrs. Mary Meese, proud grandmother, uh, uh, now times three, as uh, her daughter Michaela and her son-in-law Andrew. Uh, Michaela gave birth to two healthy baby boys this week, twins, um, Jordan and Jackson. And uh, they're cute as a button. They won't be here tonight. I don't think Michaela will be here tonight either, but I imagine Andrew will. But I hope you'll come and just love on that one of our young families in our church and uh, bring diapers. There's there's information in your bulletin there about tonight. I believe there's going to be cake and ice cream. So your children will be well taken care of. And it'll be good church fellowship. But stop by, have some cake and ice cream, and love the, the Davis family. And, uh, and you'll enjoy tonight. I hope you'll be back for it. So... This morning, as we look at John 14, and I'm thinking of Michaela and Andrew specifically, I can't help but wonder how they've been sleeping over the past couple of nights. Uh, I've wondered how AJ has handled it. He's only two, and how he handled uh, these two little boys coming into his life. I can remember the day that we we brought Tori home from the hospital, and Grandma and Grandpa, my parents, brought Ian back. He'd been staying with them. He's only, what, 15 months older than Tori? And uh, Ian came in, and, and Cindy was sitting there on the couch and holding uh, Tori, and and, uh, and Ian ran right past me, right over to Mom, and he put his arms out like this, and Cindy said, oh, you want to see your baby sister? She said, I can't hold you right now, but here's your baby sister. And Ian almost wanted to push Tori aside, and he just wanted Mom, you know, and Cindy said, I can't hold you right now. I just have your baby sister. Do you want to see your baby sister? He didn't want to see his baby sister at all. And I'll never forget, he just stood there, started to cry, and threw himself prostrate on the ground. And uh, that was the day Ian's life ended, the day the day Tori came home. And, uh, you know, I can say the same thing about Ian. That's the day my life ended, the day Ian came home. And it's just all been downhill from there. But, you know, I think of the Davises, and they've got these twins, and I wonder how they're sleeping. Um, I wonder if they have any peace. Is it possible to have peace when you have a crying baby during the night? Is it possible to have peace? Is it possible to, uh, is it possible to have peace in our hearts when the weather is dreary? You know, it's a beautiful uh, Michigan winter, isn't it? Mid-Michigan winter. Here it is, beautiful. Slush and slop and mist, no sun, no leaves. Does anybody have any tissues? Any tissues? Is it possible to have peace um, this time of year? Is it possible to have peace when, you know, we laugh about those sort of things, but is it possible to have peace in our hearts, in our lives, in our our minds to be at peace when uh, in the workplace things aren't what they ought to be? There's a lot of stress in the workplace. Is it possible to have peace? 
you know, in the passage that we're looking at in John 14, you remember he had begun by telling them to let not their hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And he told them that he would come again, receive them unto himself, that where he was, they could be there with him. Later on in the passage, he repeats the very same thing. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And he tells them, I'm going to send to you my comforter, a comforter, my spirit, we know, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And, and then Jesus said, and we looked at this last week, really an amazing passage as Jesus was teaching in the middle of John 14, not just the comforter, but he said that he himself was going to come again to them. And not just himself, but also his father with him. And we talked about that, how the Trinity actually dwells within every single child of God. And, uh, and again, he's talking to these men, and they are. They're facing troubles. They're facing disappointment. They're facing heartache and grief and separation. And there's all of these emotions and discouragement and doubt and I think even despair. And I guess my question to you, the one that we all have to answer this morning is, is it possible for us to have peace when life doesn't go exactly how we want it to go? There are times in our lives when life is going exactly how we want it to go. Have you ever, you've made that meal, right? And everything turned out just like you wanted it to. I mean, it was phenomenal. It was great. A while ago, I made some guacamole. and It was just like right there. I mean, it, it couldn't get any better. There's no better guacamole on the face of the earth. We're thinking about having a gua. I'm joking. We're, I'm thinking about having a guacamole competition. You know, it was just that amazing. Um, but it, it, it all came together. You know, now that's about the extent of my cooking ability, making guacamole. But you know, we would. We the world might say, well, you know what? When your guacamole comes together, that's when you have peace. Or when the meal comes together, that's when you have peace. When you go into the workplace and your boss calls you in and says, hey, you know what? You're the best worker I have ever seen in my entire life. I'm doubling your pay and your vacation time. Is that when we get peace? Is that when we have peace? You know, I think, I think, frankly, I think with even within our church, there's a misunderstanding of what true, the true peace of God is. And I think in many of our minds that we're equating peace, we're, we're consider, we think of peace in the, in the way that the world thinks of peace. That when the sky is blue and it's just the right temperature and our health is perfect and the leaves are on the trees, not in the yard, not under the snow in the yard or under the slop in the yard. But when everything's just perfect, when life is perfect, that's when I have peace. But that's the kind of peace that the world has. They have that kind of peace. When they have excessive amount, excessive amount of money or success, all of a sudden, in that moment, there's some peace. But that peace never lasts. I'm going to read to you from our hymnal. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. called Wonderful Peace. He says, far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalm. In celestial-like strains it unceasingly falls, or my soul like an infinite calm. 
Then he writes in the refrain, Peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. He writes again, What a treasure I have in this wonderful peace, buried deep in the heart of my soul, so secure that no power can mine it away while the years of eternity roll. I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control. And that's key, what I just read. For I'm kept from all danger by night and by day, and his glory is flooding my soul. O soul, are you here without comfort or rest, marching down the rough pathway of time? Make Jesus your friend ere the shadows grow dark. Oh, accept this sweet peace so sublime. And then he says again in the refrain, peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. I think the world wants peace badly. I think one historian I read looked at 3,500 years of world history and could only account for about 300 years of peace during that 3,500 years of world history. War, rumors of war, fightings and quarrel. You know, our world today longs for peace, but I think the world's definition of peace is, is something like this, to be without trouble, to be free from conflict, to have no stress. That's the world's definition of peace. The world's definition of peace is the absence of hostility, or the absence of unrest, the absence of conflict. And for the world, I think, Peace is just the absence of what troubles us. Get rid of what troubles me and I'll be at peace. Give me what I think I need and I'll be at rest. I'll have peace. Being free from the things that cause us fear. Being free from the things that cause us anxiety. Or free from the things that cause us depression. And my question to you this morning is, do you have peace? Do you know what the peace of Christ is? Do you know what you're looking for? And I'll tell you this right up front. If you're a child of God, you have the peace of God. You possess it. But I don't believe most believers today are using or utilizing the peace of God in their lives. And I say that in this, in this sense. For much of my life, I have found myself looking for the perfect scenario. The perfect day, perfect temperature, perfect pay, perfect acceptance. And in those moments, I have peace. You take those things away and you find someone unsettled, looking and longing, just hoping for some peace. And I want you to know, as a child of God, we have the peace of God. But I think we're more like the world in how we define our peace and define peace, and we're chasing after something that, frankly, in this life will never happen. And so we need to understand that, but we also need to understand that we have the peace of Christ 
and we can have a infinite calm in the midst of whatever life throws at us. You understand that? You and I can have that. Let's let's look at the passage. John 14. I want to begin reading in verse number 25. Verse 25. I'm going to read down through verse 31, but we're only going to look at one verse today. I just know it. Okay? Verse 20. Verse 25, he says this, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it, before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father... And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, he says, you're in the upper room. Gather your things together. He says, let us go thence. Now look back to verse 27, our text for this morning, before we pray. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I would ask you this morning, is your heart troubled? Are you afraid? Are you a child of God? Do you have, and if you are, you have the peace of God, what are you doing with it? Are you walking in the peace of God? Or are you, have you been influenced so much, have we been influenced so much by our world and our flesh that we find ourselves scrambling around trying to, to solace ourselves with perfect weather, perfect scenarios, things of this earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word this morning. I pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us. Father, it is a endless pursuit in our world for peace. Endless. And one that is never satisfied. Peace that is never, never found. And Father, I pray this morning that you would take your word and that you would teach us on this matter of peace, what it is. And Lord, I pray that there would be folks this morning who would find satisfaction. That it would change the way that we think about our circumstances. Knowing that our peace, your peace, does not come from circumstances, but it actually is found in something that is eternal and immovable and unchangeable. Father, thank you for your peace. Help us to have it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look together at Jesus' words in verse 27 this morning. I want to consider four truths about peace, okay? Four truths about peace. Truth number one, it is possible to have peace. Okay, it is possible to have peace. Look at verse number 27, the very first statement. Jesus says to his troubled and fearful disciples who did not have it at this time, he says, 
Peace I leave with you. I just want to pause there for just a few moments. But not everybody enjoys peace, but everybody can have peace. I want that to be clear up front. Uh, not everybody enjoys peace. Not everybody, not everybody possesses it, but everyone can. And there might be, and I say that to encourage your heart this morning, and maybe where you're sitting, you're saying, Pastor Ferguson, I have no peace. I'm troubled on every every side. I'm distressed. I'm I'm wrung out. I don't have peace in my life. And I want to tell you, not everybody enjoys it, but everyone can have it. So again, there in verse number 27, the beginning part, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Now, what are we talking about here specifically when he says, my peace, or he says, peace I leave with you. And the peace that Jesus was talking about was not at this point inside of the disciples. They weren't experiencing peace. They didn't have it. It was outside of them. Jesus had it, but they themselves did not have it. Peace. I leave with you peace that you don't have, a peace that you aren't experiencing, peace that you are not enjoying, Jesus says, I am leaving with you. And Jesus wasn't asking them to go find this peace. He wasn't sending them on in the endless pursuit of peace. And this is not a command. You notice in verse 27, the beginning part, he says, peace, I leave with you. It's a gift. Jesus isn't telling them, you need to go out and you need to find peace. And you, need to find, you need to get peace. You need to secure peace in your heart and in your life. You need to stop this, but you need to go out there and find peace. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not a command. It is a gift. And Jesus was saying, I'm leaving this peace with you. I'm depositing this peace into you. I'm giving you something that you will possess. I'm giving you something that you don't have. And our Lord Jesus Christ gives peace to all those who love God and learn of him. Now, not everybody possesses peace. And before we were saved, none of us were at peace with God. I want you to leave John for just a moment. Would you turn with me to Romans? Romans chapter 5. And we're going to be there for just a, maybe five minutes or so. Romans chapter 5. Because this is very important. You cannot have the peace of God if you are not at peace with God. This is very, very important. And there are some people who do not have the peace of God because they are not at peace with God. Many hymns actually talk about this. Where peace, they, they came to enjoy peace and possess peace and have peace as a result of being made at peace with God. You're in Romans chapter 5, and again, I want you to notice that not everybody possesses peace, and before we were saved, we were not at peace with God. Look at verse 10 of Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, For if, when we were enemies, speaking about being enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We used to be enemies, and that's the point of verse 10. There was no peace between mankind and God. Man was at war with God. Mankind hated God. Mankind lived in rebellion against God. And really, since the rebellion of Adam and Eve, the whole human race has been born into this world alienated from God, enemies with God. 
The whole human race has been born as the children of wrath, the Bible says, under divine judgment. And we were the enemies of God by our birth. We were the enemies of God by our choice. We chose to rebel. We were the enemies of God by our heritage, and we were the enemies of God by our actions, by the very deeds that we carried out. There was no peace with God. We lived every day of our lives doing what we wanted to do. Or doing what we had to do, maybe would be the better way to put that. Sinning against God. And all of us were born into this world at war with God. James chapter 4 talks about that. Speaking even to proud believers, he said, don't you understand that your arrogance, your pride, is it's a type of worldliness and it's enmity with God. Know ye not, he says, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, there was no peace between God and man. We were alienated from the life of God and cut off from God. And this alienation between sinners and God was most severe, and it was eternal. There was no way for us to get out of it. There was no peace with God, and there was no way for us to generate peace with God. But Romans 5 tells us that God saved us. Look at verse 6 in Romans chapter 5. He says, for when we were yet without strength, we, there was nothing we could do. In due time, right on time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, he showed his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified, declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And the point of that is God reconciled sinners to himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks of this in verse 18. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Later on in that passage in verse 21, Paul wrote, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so God put our sins upon Jesus Christ. Think about that. He put all of our sins upon Jesus Christ, all of our sins, for every one of us, and the sins of the whole world, every sin that any man had ever committed, God put that sin upon Jesus Christ and punished Jesus Christ. God punished Jesus Christ so that our sins were paid for in full so that we could have peace with God. So that we could have peace with God. And you know, a person cannot enjoy the peace of God until they're at peace with God. Romans 4 and verse 25, you're close by. Look back to verse 25 in chapter 4 of Romans. He says, who was delivered, speaking about Jesus, he was delivered for our offenses. And he was raised again for our justification. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did. Everyone that has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God has declared them righteous through Christ. And we have peace with God. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul calls the gospel, uh, he calls it the gospel of peace. The death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Paul says because of that, we have peace with God. He calls the gospel the gospel of peace because we were at war before. And it was a war we were not going to win. It was a war of defeat. Full of anxiety and fear and doom. It was terrible. And that's where we used to be. We didn't we did not. There was a time in our lives when we did not have peace with God. The, you know, when after Jesus took our sins upon his body and he paid the price for our sin, he died in our place. And after we believed upon him and received peace with God, the rebellion ended. And the enemies became friends and the enemies of God now are called the children of God. And we are welcomed into God's family and we have peace with God forever. No longer is God the enemy of ours, but God is actually on our side. And the Bible tells us that he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And we will be forever in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we we talk about that. And I mention it because it's in the context of what we're studying in John chapter 14. And we actually possess the very life of God, which he describes as everlasting life. And so much so that when when this physical body dies and finally breaks down for the last and final time, it is just an entry point into heaven. Eternal life, life without end. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, you see. And so every Christian has peace with God. And this is this peace with God is external and it is eternal. It's, a, it's an eternal reality that will never change. And a person can, but a person can never have the peace of God internally until they have peace with God externally. And so if you're here this morning and you say to me, Pastor Ferguson, I have no peace in my life whatsoever. I will say this, you will never enjoy the peace of God in your life if you are not at peace with God. If you've never been forgiven of your sins, if you've never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not trusted in him to save your soul from death and hell and to forgive your sins and take them away from you, you may call yourself a Christian or a Baptist, or religious, but if you have not been saved, if you do not have eternal life, then you are not at peace with God, and you cannot have peace, the peace of God, dwelling in your heart. And that is a terrible, miserable place to be, separated from God. And and I do not speak to you this morning condescendingly, because that is where every single one of us in this room used to be, living in fear daily, living in shame and grief daily, despairing of life, trying to find something else to give us peace, another hobby. I've told you before, uh, one, it's been years ago now, we were driving out to Pennsylvania for a vacation, and Cindy was reading an article. In the article, she was reading about signs that your spouse is stressed. 
and she was reading different things. And one of the signs was spend money impulsively. And she said, you're under a lot of stress. But you know what? You know, and to be frank, there were so many things. And this is not just something of the past, but there were so many things at that point in my life that I couldn't control. There were things in my life I couldn't do anything about. But you know what? I could go to Amazon Prime and I could have a package at my door in two days. Whatever I wanted. And they would do it. And it brought some semblance of peace. But that's just the peace of the world. You see. And that peace was fleeting. I would be happy. Sometimes I wouldn't be happy when the package arrived because I regretted spending the money. You see. And people, we do this. I say we, the world, does this all the time. We do it with drugs and we do it with alcohol. We do it with buying things. We do it with going places. We do it with movies. We escape reality. We do it with video games. And again, I'm, that's not necessarily anything wrong with buying something, right? Or, or watching a movie or playing a video game, okay? Some of these things are not sinful in and of themselves, but you see... It's a worldly pursuit of peace. And it is a peace that does not last. It is a peace that does not last. So again, a person can never have the peace of God internally until they have the peace of God externally. And, and, and so the, ex, the, the external reality of being at peace with God, though, provides us with an internal peace. I'm going to read you another. I should not have shut my hymnal. 529. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you. It's a familiar hymn. It's one you sing, and it's frankly one of the hymns you sing the best. When we sing this hymn, you sing this out, and it always encourages my heart. It was written by Horatio Spafford in the 1800s, and uh, it's entitled, It is Well with My Soul. So he's, he has peace, even though he's just suffered great loss in his life. That's, that's an oxymoron. That shouldn't be possible if... The world's peace really works. This shouldn't be possible. But you know it's possible, and I hear you sing it. He writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has re hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. What's he connecting here? Horatio Spafford was connecting. He was enjoying an internal peace because he there was an external peace with God. He goes on, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of his sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Then he writes finally, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? We could go around the room and... You could say, well, my workplace, my work environment, or my marriage, or my children, my parents, 
Pastor, there are concerns represented all over this room. Yesterday, one of my children was in tears about a certain matter, and Cindy dealt with her, and then and it, it was not a corrective measure. It was a comforting measure. And then Cindy came out and said, hey, would you let's pray together with this hurting one. But and if I told you what it was, you would you 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 would give a uh, you would you would be compassionate. You know, you would you would be compassionate for her plight. But frankly, it wasn't a big deal. But it was a big deal to her. And so there are some things represented in this room that are a big deal. There are things in life that are big deals, and there are things in life that are in our lives that are little deals, but are still big deals to us. And I'm asking you the question, do you have, is your soul at rest? Is there a calm? When everything else around us is not calm, is there a calm, an infinite calm? You see, that, that is the peace of God. Peace of God is not when somebody gives you exactly what you've been dreaming about for a long, long time. Because then life's going to kick back in. Peace of God is not what I can do with Amazon Prime. It's like taking a drug. Rest. Success. I am a man. I can control things. No, no. Peace of God is when life is going along, whether at a high or at its absolute worst. And yet for the child of God, who is at peace with God, they have the peace of God. And there is a consistent calm through it all. That doesn't mean that there isn't, it doesn't mean that our flesh doesn't have emotion. It's not a life without emotion. That's not what I'm describing here. I'm going to prove that to you as we look at this passage, because think about what's about to happen. Jesus is here. He's in the upper room. He's talking to them. I'm giving you peace. This very night, Jesus is going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his body is going to be sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. His physical body was under such immense strain. And yet... There is this infinite calm. You see, we've been talking about peace in our minds to ourselves for a long time. And you know what? The kind of peace we've been searching and longing for and struggling to obtain that we never can seem to get a hold of and hold on to. We've been struggling and longing for the peace of this world. And it comes and goes. And it's not eternal. And we need to get our focus back on, you know what, we need to understand, being very frank and very honest, that this life has all sorts of emotions and all sorts of days we're going to face. But the peace of God passeth all understanding. So when we sing that hymn, It's Well With Our Soul, there's this sense of internal peace and experiential peace, a sense of trust and contentment and confidence and well-being. Why? Because we're experiencing an internal peace in that moment because we're resting upon the external reality of being reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. 
We have been made righteous. We've been justified. And, and the result is peace. The result of knowing that we are right with God, there is peace and joy. And this kind of peace, by the way, is not passive. It's not passive. It's not just being willing to endure. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. The peace of Christ, the peace that Christ gives is actually quite aggressive. It's triumphant peace. It is a conquering peace. Oh, it's, it, it, it is a peace that protects us from fear. That's true. It's a, peer that per, fear, uh, it's a peace that protects us from despair and anxiety and doubt. But it's also a peace that triumphs over everything with courage and with confidence and with contentment. And we talked about that last week. Jesus was saying, I'm leaving you this kind of peace. And Trinity Baptist Church we should be experiencing this kind of peace. This is the kind of peace we have. And some of us are settling for a life that is worldly when it comes to peace. Something that is far less. The peace of this world is far less than what the peace of God is. Some of us are allowing ourselves to be tossed about as we go through life. And I'm not saying there is an emotion that's a part of it but we're hurled and tossed around in this life and we're dragging our children through it. We're dragging our spouses through it. You can't change your circumstance, but do you have the peace of God? And this is something that I need to learn more about personally. This is something that I need to grow in personally. So I'm not standing here and looking at you condescendingly and saying, what's wrong with you? My prayer this morning was, Lord, please help me to better know your peace in my life. Help me to grow in this area of my life. So the peace of God is possible. Secondly, I notice that the that Jesus Christ is the source of our peace. Look again at verse 27, the middle part. He says this. He says, my peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Jesus was giving peace to his disciples at, at the, what we might say the most, it was the most inopportune time. Jesus was giving peace to his disciples at the very moment it seemed furthest from him. Just a few days earlier, Jesus had said back in chapter 12 and verse 27, and you're back in John, and I need to get there too, John 14. Back in John chapter 12 and verse 27, just a few days earlier, Jesus had said this, Now is my soul troubled. And later this very night in John chapter 14, Jesus would be experiencing the greater agony of Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14 records for us that Jesus began to be greatly amazed. And not in the sense of, wow, this is incredible, but overwhelmed. Overwhelming is the sense. Sore troubled, Mark recounts. He becomes greatly amazed and sore troubled. Have you ever, you ever find yourself in a place like that? I'm, uh, I'm amazed. I didn't realize it could be like this. Now, Jesus would have known that. It wasn't new to him. It didn't surprise him. But life sometimes, many times, oftentimes surprises you and me. Jesus' peace did not consist in freedom from the turmoil. 
Jesus' peace did not consist in being free from suffering. Jesus' peace was a calm, undeviating devotion to the will of God. He was trusting his Father. He trusted his Father. Galatians 2, I often or regularly will quote it to you. In verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Doesn't say, Paul doesn't say I'm living by my faith. He says I'm living by the faith of Christ. Jesus' faith. And how did he show that? In loving me. And giving himself for me, which is what we're reading about in John 14. Here he is. He's on the verge of doing it, of obeying his father. You see, Jesus' peace was a calm. It was an undeviating devotion to the will of God, like a compass on a ship that points due north, no matter how violently the waves and winds of the storm beat against the ship. This is a divine peace. It is supernatural. It's from heaven. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It belongs to God. He is, the Bible says in many places, the God of peace. In Romans 15, he says that. And again in Romans 16, and then Philippians 4, and Hebrews 13, he says that he is the God of peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3, and verse 16, Paul wrote this. He said, now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Paul says, I want you to have peace. Over and over again, we find that it is the will of God that we would experience the peace of God in our hearts. You know, God used the Apostle Paul to pen down 13 books of the Bible. 14 if you count Hebrews, but 13 that we know of for sure. And in 12 of those 13 books, Paul says this, Grace and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. He says to those believers over and over again, I want you to have the grace of God in your life. I want you to have the peace of God in your life. This is important. In Galatians 5, we learn that the fruit of the Spirit includes love, joy, peace. And there we have the Trinity. Paul says, uh, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in Galatians, we find that part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. This is the essence of the Trinity at work in our hearts. The peace of God with the eternal life of the triune God comes peace. In verse 27, the middle part, Jesus calls it my peace, his peace. The peace that kept him calm on that Thursday night, knowing what was about to happen, knowing that his disciples were going to scatter, knowing that Peter was going to deny him, and knowing that he was going to the cross to bear the sins for the entire world. You remember in Matthew 26, in verse 39, Jesus says this, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. There's this infinite calm. There's this peace. Not without emotion. Not without heartache. Not without grief. Not without suffering. But there's this peace. 
Friends, this is what we have. You see, our churches today, the church, the churches in these United States, in the day in which we live, we are not persecuted. They do not drag us away. They do not beat us and abuse us. Now, there is suffering of different types. And I will tell you this, if we, as we go through this life, it would have been an awful shame for churches of past, in, in, in history of times gone by, or in churches in other parts of the world who are suffering, it would be an awful shame if they went through that suffering and never learned what the peace of God really was while they, while they suffered. And so, too, would it be a great shame for you and for me, as we go through this life, we do not suffer as a church the way other churches have suffered in other times of, his, of history. But as we go through the, this, the lives that we are living, and we face different trials and different temptations and different hardships, it would be an awful shame for you and for me not to grow up in our understanding and our experience of the peace of God. It would be awfully sad if, if I pastor Trinity Baptist Church and I'm 60 years old someday and you've somehow put up with me until then. You could have laughed at that. 20 years go by. And I have not grown in my understanding of what the peace of God is. And as your pastor, I'm still trying to find things of this world to solace my grief. That'd be awfully sad, don't you think? And again, don't leave here beating yourselves up. That's not the goal of this message. But know this, there, the peace of Christ does exist. There is a peace, and we're going to get to this, that is not like the world's peace. His peace is not, is not like the world's peace. Get me out of the conflict and get me out on the golf course and, hey, you know what, beautiful day. And if I do bad enough, it'll get my mind off of the problems of life and I'll be happy. That's the world's peace. Now, there's a need to get out there and to get those, get some exercise in and change of sceneries. Those are, these are wisdom in these things. But ultimately, that is not where the peace comes from. Because there are some times in our lives where we cannot change the scenery. Do you know what I mean? There are times, there are situations you can't, you can't change the scenery. You can go to the other side of the earth and you'll take the problem with you. Jesus is saying, the peace I'm giving you, disciples, is my peace. It's different than what the world offers. Where did this peace come from? As throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was mocked and ridiculed and lied about and undermined and scorned and betrayed. Where did this peace come from? And the answer to that is this. He trusted his father. And, and please, please pay close attention because inward peace is connected to trusting our father's plan. This is very important. You and I do not have peace when we do not trust our father's plan. You say this is like Christianity 101, Pastor Ferguson. You've got to do something better. Doesn't it always seem to come back to trust and obey him? Do what you know to do and trust him. You've got to give me something else, Pastor Ferguson, because that one, I've just never been able to succeed at it, and I need something else that's attainable. 
What was it that gave Jesus peace? Well, he trusted his father's plan. He trusted the father's plan while he suffered in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed upon the cross in agony, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet there is this infinite call. He does not take himself out of the suffering. He goes through it. He takes his cross. And you and I are also commanded to take up our cross and follow him. And our crosses are not the same cross that he bore. They're different, but yet there is suffering. There is hardship. You're going to have to deny self. I'm going to have to deny self. In John chapter 19, we read about how Jesus stood before a very confused, frustrated, and angry man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And after Pilate had asked, or after Pilate had had Jesus beaten and crowned with a crown of thorns, he has Jesus stand before him and he asked Jesus who he was. Jesus didn't answer him. And in anger and frustration, Pilate says in John 19 verse 10, Speakest thou not unto me? Pilate says to Jesus, Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have the power to release thee? Don't you understand? Pilate was saying to Jesus, I own you. I can put you to death and I can give you life. Jesus responds to him in verse 11, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it was given thee from above. You see, Jesus understood my father is working things, all things together for his glory and for my good. Jesus had a peace and he gives this peace to you and to me. But know this, this peace is connected to trusting what our father is doing in our lives. Do I trust him? Really, Jesus was saying was whatever is going to happen to me is my father's plan. You see, the peace that Jesus had was linked to trusting his father. And just as it is impossible to enjoy the peace of God without having peace with God, so too is it impossible to enjoy internal peace while we refuse to trust God and his plan. Jesus is saying, my peace I give unto you. And the same peace that I possess, Jesus was saying, in the face of Pilate, in the face of the cross, in the face of becoming the sin uh, for all of mankind and being separated from my father, the same peace that I have is the same peace that I'm giving unto you. Again, I'll say this and I'll move on. But Jesus' peace did not consist in freedom from turmoil. That is worldly peace. That is the peace of the world. Get me out of my current problem and get me into a different place of rest and I will be at peace. And you know what? You know what we see over and over again in our society? Find some of the richest, most wealthy people in the world who have things that you and I might dream of or covet of lives, houses to live in, cars to drive, which one to choose, money upon uh, without end seemingly. Go anywhere. Don't have to go to work if you don't want to. And what you find in the lives of these people is that they do not have peace. They do not have peace. And yet some of us as God's children, 
who are the possessors of peace are looking in the wrong place. We're still, while we have peace, we're still scrounging around in this world trying to find the peace of the world. And you know what the fact is about the peace of the world? It gives a little bit of peace for a short amount of time. It does. A little bit of peace for a short amount of time. But know this, it will go away. It will go away. And I want you to know something as a church. We have peace that is greater. It is greater than the peace of this world. Look at verse 27. And I see there that the peace of God is is excellent. It is greater than the peace of this world. First of all, we saw it is, the, we, it is possible for us to have peace. Two, Christ is the source of genuine peace. Thirdly, the peace of God is excellent. Look at verse 27. The middle part, he says, Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. So he says, My peace I give unto you, but not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And the so-called peace of this world cannot be compared to the peace of God. And I've been talking about that a little bit. One author wrote this, quote, The wicked may have something which looks like peace, but it is not. They may be fearless, but there is a great difference between a stupefied conscience and a pacified conscience. This is the devil's peace, he writes. He rocks men in the cradle of security. He cries, peace, peace, when men are on the precipice of hell. The seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but the ignorance of his danger. You see, the the peace of this world is built upon compromise. Well, it's compromise. Have you ever noticed the more you compromise, the more you're expected to compromise? It's never enough. Well, I thought we agreed. I'd let you do this, and then you'd be happy, right? You said to your teenage son or daughter, you thought, you didn't say that, but you know, all they wanted was this, and finally you gave in against your better judgment. But it wasn't enough, but now it's got to be something more. Or maybe you're an employer, and you have employees that work for you, and you know, it's never enough. It's always got to be something more. Compromise. The peace of this world is built on compromise. The peace of this world is constructed upon complacency. Complacency. Have you ever tried that to get peace in your life? Drowning in debt, cars broken down, the roof's leaking. I just don't care. Have you ever tried that to get peace? Does it work? Oh, come on. It works for a little while. And then reality smacks us right upside the head. That's a pleasant thought. But I just don't care. You know, I'm just not going to think about it. Have you tried that? Complacent. This is this is the kind of peace that comes from the world. And so our question is, are we looking for peace in things? Are you looking for peace in things? Are you looking for peace in better health? If I could just have better health, I would be at peace or better relationships, or more money, or popularity, or success, or acceptance, or relief from suffering. You see, the world ultimately really doesn't have any peace. They have band-aids over gaping wounds of covetousness, discontentment, misery. They have no peace. They don't have peace... Not for emotional reasons or psychological reasons or 
even circumstantial reasons. But the world lacks peace for a spiritual reason, theological reasons. Why? Because only those who know Christ can have peace with God and then are given the peace of God. And we can go through this life, whatever it brings. There is suffering at times and there is time of joy and ecstasy. But there is this call. And it's the peace of Christ. We'll never find peace in ignorant bliss, by the way. Ignorance is bliss. Don't tell me. It'll be all right. I'd rather not know. And I do understand that thought. But that's not where peace is found. Peace is not found in fantasy. Fantasy world. And in our day and age, this is becoming a part of our culture, our fabric, our society. And I don't think it's new. We have an outlet now for it that tracks everything that we call computers. But the idea of fantasy land is not new. It's been around since the beginning of mankind. Where I'm just going to live in pretend world. The sky is blue. 74 degrees. 76. With a light breeze. I can hear the leaves and the trees. You say, Seth, you're in Michigan. It's January. There are no leaves. It's not 76. Stop living in fantasy world. Be honest. And for some of us, you know what honesty would do? It would drive us right to our knees. And we say, oh, God. There's a lot of trouble. I don't know what to do. But some of us aren't praying because we're living in fantasy world. We're, 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 we're eating the husks of the peace of this world. And it's doing okay for now. It's helping us exist for now, so we think. But actually, we know what's, what's still out there. We know what we still need to do, what still needs to be addressed. And so let's be honest about it, because the peace of God is not the peace of this world. The peace of Christ is enjoyed as we trust our Lord and his plan for us. There's one last truth, and I want you to see it. It's in verse 27, the latter part. Now, I told you that it's possible to have peace. And you remember in the beginning of verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. I told you it is a gift. This is a gift. This is Christ giving a gift, a beautiful, wonderful, miraculous gift to his disciples, to you and to me. It's a gift. It's not something to be worked for. It's something that he gives. And then we saw at the middle part of verse 27 that Christ is the source of genuine peace. My peace I give unto you. And then not as the world giveth, give I unto you. This is his, his peace is more excellent than the peace of this world. But there's one last truth, and it is this. We each have a responsibility to pursue peace. It's a gift. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Ferg, you just said it was a gift, and now you're telling me I need to pursue it. it sounds, you're making it sound like i got to do something. Yeah. Look what he says at the end of verse 27. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In Colossians 3, we're actually commanded, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. 
You see, God desires that the peace of Jesus Christ would dominate us. You might say, well, wait just a minute. You just said that it's a gift. And when I get a gift, I don't have to do anything. You do have to unwrap it. You might remember. You do have to accept it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to want to use it and enjoy it. You see, Jesus has given us his peace, and yet many of us aren't experiencing it. Am I right about that? Yes or no? You know, it is, is, it, is it strange that God would make a, give us a provision, make a provision for us, and then instruct us as to what we're supposed to do with that provision? Is that something that's abnormal for God to do? Have you ever found yourself hungry while your pantry and cupboards and, and a refrigerator are full of food? I have. Then he says, what did you have for lunch? Oh, there wasn't anything to eat. And then I should duck. No, she's too kind for that. She'll look at me like, what do you mean there's nothing to eat? And then she'll begin to name it. There's, and she'll go through. And I could even think of things that she has said to me that were there. Plenty to eat, actually, right there in my possession. But I'm hungry. That's kind of how it is, I think, with peace, with you and with me. Have you ever found yourself without enough money while you had the sufficient funds in the bank? I remember in college going to the ATM machine. You remember those? Go to the ATM machine, and I couldn't remember my pen. I needed a 20. I'm up in, in Wisconsin. I need a $20 bill. And I'm standing there, and it was so embarrassing. I still feel it to this day. I'm standing there. My buddies got their money out, and I'm there pushing buttons, feeling like, you know, the camera, which in those days probably didn't recognize me as being a human being, was just, and I'm, and I'm thinking, they're going to arrest me for trying to break into an account I don't have. You know, I don't remember. Is this even the right bank? You know, okay, I wasn't all that well put together as a college kid. I had worked for the money. It was mine, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't access it. And some of us, it's like that. We've, we've been given this gift of peace, but we're just not accessing it. This isn't new for God to give us something, but then give us instruction with it. Didn't Jesus teach his disciples that the resources of heaven were available to them if they would just ask in his name? We read about that in John 14. And he, he has promised us his truth, and he's told us that it's readily available to us in his written word, but we are told to study to show ourselves approved unto God, to be workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, to rightly divide the word of truth. We are promised the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth and who will comfort us and console us and convict us and teach us and never leave us, but we are commanded to walk in the Spirit and to not fulfill the lust of the flesh that we might be filled with the Spirit. And so too, each one of us needs to pursue peace. Psalm 34 and verse 14, the psalmist wrote, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. But not the world's peace, church. Right now, you got the itch. You just need to place that order on Amazon Prime. Pastor's engaging me in reality. I just, or maybe it's, I just got to eat. And you're like, we all got to eat, Pastor. Would you please wrap it up? Are you pursuing peace? Are you seeking it? Did you notice what the psalmist said there? Depart from evil 
and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Peter quoted that in 1 Peter 3 and verse 11. And then those who steadfastly trust in the Lord are kept in his peace. Listen to what Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Do you trust in him? I already mentioned that Jesus had this peace. Why? Because he was trusting his father's will. He was trusting his father's plan. And some of us, frankly, we don't have peace because we don't trust God. We don't trust our father. We don't trust what he's done. And we're not sure we trust what he's going to do. So there's no peace. Some of us need to say, Lord, it is, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be busy doing what I know is right. I'm gonna do good. I'm gonna do what all that I know to do, but Lord, you are responsible for all of these things. And Lord, I trust you, whatever you do, whatever you do, I know that you're gonna do what is best, what, what is right, and what is good. I trust you. Some of us need to get on our knees. We need to have that conversation with the Lord. Isaiah 32 actually links peace to doing what is right. He says, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. Doing what is right will produce peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. He's talking about peace. Doing what is right, according to James, is frankly the equivalent of peace. James chapter 3. They're inseparable. Doing what is right and having peace are inseparable. Now, I'm not talking about the peace of the world. I'm not talking about a placebo, something that you take to make you feel good or to make you think you're feeling good. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine peace, the peace of Christ, the peace of God. Hebrews 12 speaks of the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Jesus had peace even on the verge of crucifixion as he trusted his father's plan and obeyed him. I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but in Matthew 6, Jesus talked about, take no thought for tomorrow. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? You can't add any days to your life. Look at the flowers. Look how they're robed and clothed. Your father takes care of them. Look at the birds. Think about the birds and God provides for them. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't be full of anxiety. And yet so much anxiety and worry is within our local church, this very assembly, within this heart sometimes of your pastor. You really don't want me in complete control. You want your Heavenly Father in control, don't you? Do you really want you in complete control? Answer me. And yet there have been times in my life where that's exactly what I want. I want to be in control. I can control Amazon orders. and I can control going to this place or to that ball game or sitting down and watching that or going here and do. I can control, I think, I can control some of those sort of things. I feel better. But ultimately, the peace of God is not the world's peace. And see, when you follow and when I follow the path of righteousness, peace will find us on the trail somewhere along the way. 
Job put it this way as we close. He said in verse 15 of Job 13, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He had lost every child, every possession. He had nothing. Nothing. But a wife who was encouraging him to forsake God, curse God, and die. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. In the end of that verse, he says this, but I will maintain my own ways before him. I'm going to keep doing what I know to be right, and I'm going to, entrust, I'm going to trust the integrity of God, the character of God. He is not out of the loop. He is working. He is doing exactly what he wants to do in your life and in mine. And guess what? I trust him. He is God. Let him be God. And trust him. And have peace. With every head bowed.